Uh, when we uh, started looking at all the different classes we could have, we were looking at the different tracks. And one of them was Ohio for Jesus. Uh, we had scheduled three or four different groups, and all of those individuals were teaching other classes. And John says, I still would you like you to teach uh, uh, on Ohio for Jesus as far as the vision that, that you may have or, or how you can grasp where to go from a vision. Um, probably because when uh, we start, you know, my background, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, um, I, I do serve as assistant superintendent. I don't have any credentials to deserve to serve everyone, but uh, that's what God has uh, allowed me to do, and so I'm, I'm serving you as the churches, but I also, my previous, I was a, a vice president of Honda for about 25 years I worked there, and uh, I was given opportunities, especially in, in planning and strategic planning and things, and that's what took me to the office after I pastored for about 11 years. But as I pastored, uh, we took a little small church, uh, it was a Civil War era building, uh, had two parking spots, I think there were 20 people there, and 12 of them were over 70. Uh, no one wanted the church, and Doug Clay told me, you know, you can still pastor there and work at Honda, and, and we're going to put this thing to bed somehow. I didn't hear that right away. He told me that later. And uh, as I watched God speak into my life, into my heart, I uh, walked away from that position and pastored this small group that I watched flourish and grow. And, and these two gentlemen here eventually joined me, and uh, they were a part of that. They now pastor their own churches. Uh, but I watched how God transformed that community, a small community of maybe 8,500 people. At one time, we had up to uh, 500 people coming at least uh, during the month, you know, on our register. And uh, we built three times, and I thought, wow, God, you can do some things that we can't even believe. But I want you to know it didn't just happen. There's some things that I believe that uh, God is in and he wants to speak through you. And I, I want to ask you, you know, maybe as we get started here, uh, how many of you hear from God? Just, it's real casual here. You hear from God. Veronica, how do you hear from God? So she's answering a lot of the good things. That, what about you, Pastor Joe? Well, the only one that she left off is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> through, through others? Uh, what about through your grandchildren, through your children, uh, through dreams, uh, through your time of prayer? You know, I, I'm convinced that we hear more from God through his word than anything else because it's not going to fail you. You know, voices sometimes you can get messed up on. Uh, but I'm convinced that God is always speaking. I really do. And Veronica, you're right. When you get in position, your ear gets in tune with God. He will speak to you. And that's, I guess, more than anything else, I want to encourage you. There's a small group here. But God is speaking, and he wants to speak to you. And so I want you to hear from the, uh, the heart of God. And I want to use a, a scripture reference here. Uh, that when God began to speak to me, I went to the book of Habakkuk. And, uh, you know, it's only three chapters, three little chapters. And, 
and I catch uh, what's happening in the narrative there. You know, Habakkuk, being one of the minor prophets, he begins uh, complaining to God. And I found out even if you're complaining, God likes you talking to him because he can correct your thinking. He can correct some things, but if you're talking to him, he'll respond. But here Habakkuk's talking about, I've got people that are doing this and that. And you know, you ever talk about your church people that way? Pastors, be careful, because you do sometimes. You get disappointed because you see them not doing what's best for them. And so sometimes you tell God on them. I think that's what Habakkuk was doing. And it says God responded to him. And God begins to tell him, you think your people are bad. I'm ad-libbing here a little bit. You think your people are bad? You wait till this group of Babylonians that I got already reserved. I'm allowing this to happen for your own good. I'm going to allow them to come in and just wreak havoc over this land, over this world. And uh, you're going to realize that maybe your people weren't as bad as you thought they were. He doesn't say it quite like that. And what I hear in this scripture as it goes through the first chapter, Habakkuk realizes uh, how he got in contact with God and how God talked to him. And he desired to hear him again. And I would say to any of you, there are times where you say yes to God. Do you remember saying yes to God? Any of you? I've said yes, and sometimes I've said yes and reminded God about what I said yes to. (laughs) But God will tell you at times you can't rest on your last yes because he's wanting to say something more to you, and you're telling him what you've already done, and he's telling you what he wants you to do. And so Habakkuk is, is at a place where he's wanting to hear God. And as the second chapter opens up, and just those first three verses, he says he finds himself up on the watchtower. And in my mind, it doesn't say that in the scripture, but he's wanting to get as close to heaven as he can get. You know, if you want to hear God, you better get as close to him as you can get. You know, don't get close to the shakers and movers and the communicators and people that can uh, gain you some position in life. Get close to God. He will talk to you. And he begins, and God begins to speak in the second chapter. And he says, what I'm about to say to you isn't for right now. You know, the thing, when you begin to hear from God, you got to know for the timing when it's for. There are times where God will seal something in your heart and let you know, but it's not for now. It's going to be later. But he, here in the scripture, he says, wait for it, because it's going to come. But I want you to write it down. And there's times where every one of us have heard things from God, and we get to a place we don't write it down. We don't remember just what he said. Uh, there are times I've got up in 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, either had a dream or, I, you know, Peggy, my wife, usually knows when God's talking to me because I'll get up, and I go do something else, and she'll ask me the next morning, well, what did God say to you? Because she knows that it's important enough. I know the difference uh, when he's, whether it's just indigestion or anything, you know when God's talking to you, and you begin to want to hear that. But when you write things down, you don't mess things up. And God's telling Habakkuk, you write it down because I want the message to be clear. When it moves from here to here, I don't want it to be lost in translation. You know, what God has birthed or said to you, it's important that you write down, and especially in the planning part. When I first went to Wapakoneta, I began to write the things down, God told me. And it was amazing to me that God would talk to me, 
But just talking to me wasn't enough. I had to convince some people you know, to walk with me, to hear it too. If I'm, you know, God's not going to do it all just with me. He's going to do it with people, but you have to have people that can buy into what God is saying. But sometimes if you just talk, they're not following you. Uh, John Wooten came into the church, this little old Civil War era building. There was a pipe organ in it. I don't know. It took up 20% of the church, so it seated about, I don't know if it was 100 people could get in there or not. It was pretty small. But on the entire front wall, I blew it up. Uh, when I'm saying blow up, I shared what God said to me, and I put it on a page. When I worked for the Japanese, uh, the Japanese would use the word best," and it means one page is best. If you can't say what you want to say on one page, then you're probably what you have to say. People can't follow you. But what I did is I put this big chart up on the entire front wall. We, we supported missionaries. We put the missionary pictures on the inside of the walls of the church. But on the entrance, everyone that came in could hear what God had said to us or to me. But I had to share that story, what God was saying to me, to all of the board. Now, this board, you know, I have no credibility with the board very much. I just came in. I had never pastored before. I had walked away from a job, and I said yes to God. I'm going to pastor. And I had one guy on the board that everything that I would share, what God had said to me, he would always tell me why we couldn't do that. Uh, what we've tried before or this won't work because of the engineering possibility or whatever. Where we wanted to buy land or what we were going to do in the future. And I asked him one day, I called him by name, and I said, why do you always tell me why we can't do something? Why can't you tell me how we can do it? And he says, because one of these days where everybody else is telling you they're on board with you, I'm going to be right, and you'll know that I, I was right at least one time. And, oh <laughs> but, but he came around, and he drew up, he had uh, civil engineering abilities. And the drawings and the layout and the development of the land for the church and the things, you know, at times people thought my dream or my, my vision was about buildings, but the buildings were because we were going to need it for people. It was never about the buildings. It was about the people that were going to find the Lord and come in. And uh, that first five years, uh, I watched God do some phenomenal things. I watched him. Uh, we were able to, in a period of 30 days, one month, we baptized 55 new believers. And, uh, and I watched as the church grew. And, and uh, there was a day where it was kind of heavy. And I'm, I'm leaving from where we're going, but it's okay. This is where I want to go. Uh, as I left uh, I, uh, for church one day, did, does any of you always drive your car? Do your spouse drive the car? I, I don't know. It's a control thing or whatever. My spouse never drives. Uh, and she probably is scared now and then. Now I'm getting older or whatever. <laughs> but that Sunday morning, I said, I want you to drive. I want you to drive. And, uh, and she says, what's wrong? I says, Peggy, if God doesn't send us some leaders to walk with us, we can't handle what he's got for there already. I said, I'm not good enough to do that. And I was really discouraged because we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the people in place. God had given me a vision, but the people weren't there, or that at least were locked into those positions. And that morning, I was sitting on the front pew. At that time, we still had pews in there. And a man came up to me. He's now deceased. 
and he began to speak in tongues and he gave the interpretation and his exact words started out. He said, my son, I like that, don't you? When, when he, God says, my son, he says, haven't I promised you I would send people to walk with you? I would send leaders to walk with you. The exact words that I had told my wife and from that day, person after person started coming in and leading and, and just not, not me coercing and, and trying to get them to come there, but God did some awesome things. But I had to begin to share that vision with the leadership. The leadership first told me, we're little, nobody wants us. Uh, <clears throat> it's never worked here. Uh, this is a Catholic community. Uh, I wanna tell you, I have found that Catholic people that get saved are the best people to ever have in your congregation. They're loyal, they're honorable, they're committed. They'll do what they say they'll do. And, uh, and you never have to worry about them because when God does something in them, he transforms them. And I use that as maybe a, as a, a thought, but it's true. Uh, God sent some honorable Catholic people that truly had a transformation in God and made a big difference there. But I really wasn't wanting to talk about that as much as I wanted to say, you know, if, if God talks to you, which he does, he will. If you'll say, yes, Lord, I want to hear you. I don't think he just talks just to be talking. But if you'll listen to him, he'll, he'll tell you some things. If you'll write them down, what do you do with them? You know, and how do you uh, present those? As a pastor, uh, you've got to be able to cast vision. Uh, people will not follow you unless, of course, you can be charismatic. You can have phenomenal uh, communication skills, but they have to believe you've heard from God. I've, I've talked to people that are pastors, and I said, you don't need a pastor that can just get everything off of the shelf. There's good things out there that you can teach and, and preach or whatever, but people want to know that their pastor hears from God. They want to know that there is a, a message. I, I talk about a sermon and a message. Sermons can be preached almost anywhere because it's the word of God, it's good. But a message is timely, it's for the hour and the moment. And I believe when you cast vision, what God speaks to vision to you, it doesn't mean that it's going to be the same over in another place. Stephen Duncan Falls, whatever God spoke to you there, that may not be the same thing that he could do over in Chillicothe. But what he spoke to you, he will bring to pass. And so I wanna take some of the planning uh, concepts I had when I was at Honda, I, you know, God, God wired me that way, and, uh, you know, he made it tough for some people to, to follow at times, but I believe I didn't get the education that people got in Bible schools. I, I did take night classes, correspondence, and was ordained in another fellowship before I came to the Assemblies of God, but I got an education in business that many pastors don't get in planning and strategic things. And I believe God used it. He knew the time, he knew the place, he knew where I would be today in the area of the Ohio for Jesus strategic plan. That's how a lot of that started because God asked me to say yes again. Uh, when I walked away from Wapak, I had to say yes to God and I didn't know where I was going. Uh, do you, have you ever said yes to God and you didn't know what you were saying yes to? I, I basically left without knowing, I would never have advised one of my children to go to a different place of employment without knowing where you're going to go to. Yeah. And I had so many people at the church ask me, where are you going? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, then you can stay here until God tells you. 
I said, well, maybe God's not telling me because he w doesn't want you to believe I would choose something over you. But I want to tell you something, and, and I'm going away from where I wanted to go again. But I left, uh, in, like in October, I shared with the church four, four and a half years ago that I'm going to be leaving. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to be leaving. Things were going well. It wasn't anything wrong. It wasn't heavy. We just built a new children's church. And uh, on January 4th of 2008, or January 1st of 2018, we walked away. And I figured the best way you can hear from God is you go to South. We went to Florida. <laughs> and I, I wanted to be away from people. I really, I wanted to be away from people. I wanted to be away from people that would influence me or anything. And I, I was grieving too. You know, when you walk away from something you love, you grieve. And so uh, three weeks down there, that didn't help me at all. I didn't hear anything from God. February come, I didn't hear anything from God. March, April, May, I'm getting desperate. And I get to a place, have you ever told God he doesn't love you the way he should love you? Because if he would, he wouldn't treat you and let, allow you to feel the way you are. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm being real with you. And I began to talk to him that way, and I heard him say those words again, my son, can you impress me? And you know what I did? I began to roll off my resume, all the things that I'd accomplished in life. And I heard God say something different to me. He said, I said, my son, can you impress me? Have you ever been around your mom or dad when they had to say something a second time? You knew you answered wrong the first time. I answered wrong. But then I listened to God, and I heard him say these things to me. He said, my son, you cannot impress the living God. There is not a bank account you could have, a title you could hold, a position, a church you could pastor that could impress a living God. But you can please me. And you have done that. You have pleased me because you said yes to what I asked you to do. And it wasn't weeks later that I came to the network office putting together the 10-year Ohio for Jesus plan. And it was, re it was refreshing to me. The weight of my life was not, God, am I, am I doing something right or not? It's I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And even though I didn't really want to do all of that because it was like business, putting together a strategic plan isn't a lot of fun stuff. I was stepping away from a lot of ministry I'd done before that. And uh, as much as I got to know and love Jim Palmer, I had for many, many years, and I got to be with him and, and articulate things with him, uh, until he passed away, I didn't realize for the moment what God had already already ordained into the future. He already knew. He knew his appointment. And for this season, God allowed me to be here, but he allowed the vision that I had had to, to be fulfilled because he had promised me during that time, during this whole, whole ordeal, that he would allow me to pastor pastors. And, and I've been able to do that. But I want to share with you, if you're going to write your vision down, if you're going to share it with people, it needs to be clear and concise. And so what we did at Honda, and it, you know, it sounds kind of, I don't want to always go to that, but this is what I learned. We did what we called a situation analysis. Have you ever really investigated a situation to know what something's like? You know, you think something's a certain way, but you don't know unless you really check, you really investigate it. So we would do what we called a situation analysis. And I don't know where I'm at there, but let me see if I can, is that one up there? So what, what it, for a business model, anything we ever planned, 
we always looked at SEQCDM. That means safety impact, the environment impact, the quality impact, the cost, the delivery, and the manpower. We always played all of those things in. We had matrices, and we would investigate that very close. I can send this to anybody if you wanted to. But for a church, when I became a pastor, I said, God, the tool you gave me at Honda, I'm going to create it over here in the, in the church environment. So I had to first do an analysis and be honest with myself what the real situation was. I was in a Civil War era building. I was in a building that had two parking places. I was in a place that nobody wanted to come. The church's name was Maranatha. Uh, most people thought it was a Catholic church because it was a former Lutheran one and they thought it was the Martha church. They had no understanding of what it was. So I took these same things and I looked for the church environment for safety. I wanted to look at the physical condition, the appearance, the facility and the property. I wanted to be real. Could people see that as a place that they could raise their kids, that they could bring them, raise them up, see them get married, uh, their lives, uh, their burial, their grandkids grow up? Is that a place people would want to bring their family and to grow uh, in their knowledge of God? I had to be honest about it. The environment, I wanted to know, is this a culture of inclusion, assimilation, uh, are the attitudes of our congregation, do they want other people here? Because some of them like being small. They liked who they were. They, they were. they had some status in the church. I had to ask myself those questions. The structure, the quality, the structure of the services, the, curri the curriculum we were teaching, the preaching, I wanted to look at that. Uh, from a cost standpoint, I wanted to know how the money was being spent. I wanted to make sure, were we putting all the money in this uh, building, or are we putting it all in outreach? Are we where are we putting this? Were uh, were the maintenance? Uh, were they over overreaching to where we couldn't keep this building going? The operational costs, the salaries, the missions. Uh, we had dropped all missions, and I was like, what? What's that's a death sentence in my opinion. You you take away missions, you take away the heart of God, and so I, I looked at all those things. Then in delivery, I wanted to know about the outreach. Uh, the internal messaging, uh, the timing or activity. When I first came there, I had people telling me, uh, we don't want any more than 15-minute sermon. I said, you got the wrong person. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm just getting started in 15 minutes. You know, But I had to realize, my dad always taught me that, you know, people, you know, their ears can only retain as much as their backsides can endure. And so, you know, you have to be careful there. You've got to be really on top of it. And you've got to really be communicating something from the word of God for people to just sit there and endure a lot of the things. So you better make sure that you're well prepared and you've studied and you're giving them something that God wants them to have and that's going to be uh, relevant in their lives. And I wanted to understand, are we connecting with the unchurched? Are, we only, are, are our only friends Christian people? Do we, do we reach the communities? Do we, do we have breakfasts do we find ourselves where sinners are and I found myself as an example uh, finding myself in funeral homes and in tr in hospitals and uh, there's times I prayed for people I didn't have any idea who they were but someone would call me or whatever to a hospital to a funeral home and I watched this family after family began to come in they began to come in because of love uh, that that loved one they had died but they saw someone love them. And that same kind of uh, uh, 
hospitality and love was being shared by other leaders in the church. It wasn't just one person. So I had to look at what it was like at the time I was there. And then, as I said, the manpower. I wanted to know about the demographics. I wanted to know the ages of our people. You know, 12 people over 70 years old sure wasn't really encouraging. You know, what are you going to do with them? But I want to tell you, I watched those 12 that were over 70 years old a month after I got there. The river behind the church, there was eight inches in January overnight, and uh, it flooded uh, probably two to three feet deep, sewage, everything in that church. Well, all we had in that basement, that's the only place children could be. I watched uh, if over a period of 17 days, 12-hour days, I watched 70-year-old men remodel and restore that, and it gave them a purpose again that they were still needed, that they were not just somebody that needed to sit on the back seat or whatever. But I also began to look at what can we do to get children in and, and how can we get uh, other demographics in. I knew when I left, we looked at our demographics of the age groups. And under 20, there were 25% of our congregation. Between the ages of 20 and 48, there was another 25%. Between 48 and 70 years old, there were 25%. And there were 25% over 70 years of age. And I thought, that was kind of a nice mix. Of course, demographics from an ethnic side, you know, if you knew what Wapakoneta was, there's, it's probably 99.9% uh, Caucasian, German, you know, that background. But we wanted to make sure, I wanted to know what the church was like because I wanted to reach beyond that. So after I did that, I made, I said, a simple chart. This is the simplest chart that I made, if I, if I show this, uh, that shows both growth and time. Uh, I, I had a vision of where God was going to take us, but I needed to put it out in a pictorial matter. I wanted to see the growth going this way and over time. Now, what you're going to see here, this shows, you know, time as if in now. But at that time, it was 2007 to 2012. I made a five-year plan. I told the church, these are the things God said to me. I'm putting it on a plan, and this is how we're going to, to move forward. And... Uh, I can tell you, uh, Fred can tell you, uh, Larry can tell you, amazing. I, I've said to my wife several times, Peggy, we weren't very good, but God was great. Uh, there were some things that he allowed to happen in our lives because we put it down on paper and we showed people what God was saying. And, you know, God's not a liar. Uh, too many times people will blame things on God and they'll say God said this. You know, I, I really cringe about that. If you say God, God will bring it to pass. And I watched after that first five years, everything that I said that God had said, he brought to pass. Not because of me or how good I was, because he's faithful. And so after five years, I could be satisfied and say, okay, we built our first part of our church and everything is great. And uh, we did this analysis and, and we made adjustments and God sent some wonderful people. But I don't think God wants you to stagnate because you know, there's other generations depending on things. And so uh, we, we, as we made that plan, we took the low-hanging fruit. You know, no matter how bad your church is, and that sounds bad, don't it? No, no matter how many struggles your church has, your church has some low-hanging fruit. There's something that you can attach yourself to. There, there is a history that's there if you'll dig it out that there's people that labored and they kept doors open in a church maybe you aren't the one that founded it 
But if you are the one that found it, you have to realize somebody is going, you may not even see God uh, fulfill the things he's sharing in you now, but someone will. And I realized no matter how bad the church had got, I was the 17th pastor at the church. And I realized that for that season, God knew in, in time that this is the season I'm going to allow the moving of the water again. I'm going to allow something to happen. But there were people that prayed for many, many years. Uh, the, the day we bought uh, seven acres out on a, a four-lane highway up on the highest place, everybody could see it, uh, we purchased that uh, ground. We didn't have any money, but we purchased it out of faith. I could go into all kinds of uh, testimonies how people just came through on different things. But I was told that the night there was a community uh, fair. Uh, they were feeding the hungry. And two women, Catholic women, came up to me and said, can you share with us? We heard your church bought a property today. Evidently, they had inside road with uh, the county courthouse recorder or whatever. And I shared with them where it was. They said, do you realize 10 years ago, day after day, we walked that property because it was the highest property in all of the local community there. And we prayed that God would bring revival to this place. Catholic people that had nothing to do with the church, but their prayers endured, and we were the benefactors of that. But So I'm saying you grab the low-hanging fruit, and you hold on to those and say, God, what you have said, you will bring to pass. And so what I did is I did that situation analysis, and I put this in real time now, but I wanted uh, to put some type of scripture with it. Now, this is the second one, or the second five-year plan I put together, because I wanted to reproduce. I didn't want just, I, I was never able to plant a church. But I knew that God's will was that we would plant a church. He had told me that there was a local community that he wanted us to build a church in. This is after we'd already had our facility and all built. He also told me that we were to send missionaries to England. I finished my management courses with Honda in Swindon, England. And I never felt such an oppression, a place where it was godless, uh, over in, in England. And I, I felt as I was praying through the time I was a pastor, you're to be, you send the word of God back to England because uh, they send it to you and you do something different. So there was, there was things in this plan here that I was able uh, to look at. So I, I always, when I'm putting a plan together, I'm asking what the ideal situation is. What do you really want God to do? What, what are you asking God to do? Uh, and I was asking God that you would allow this church to be represented and replicated all over this world. I, I want there to be churches like this all over the world. I can't plant them all, but I can plant some somewhere. And so my, my ideal vision was, God, let us reproduce. Uh, when we first got married, you know, I, I, I was praying, God, let us have children. I wanted children. And, and you know, that's not always uh, permitted by every. You know, sometimes I, the assistant, I, as I came into the offices, I'm, I'm sidetracking here. I just heard this past week or two, Ashley Higgins, for almost 12, 13 years, her and Joe were married. She was my assistant after uh, Jim Palmer passed. And they adopted two boys, and they weren't permitted to have children. But just this past week or two, I uh, got a message. They're going to be having a child after all these years of marriage. And I'm thinking, 
God, that's what I want. I want children. Uh, I'm going to have my 11th grandchild here in the next few days. Uh, God, you're good, and, and you allow things. But I want the ideal vision if, if money's not an issue. Because most of the time when people tell me what they want for their church or from God or from a plan or whatever, we don't have enough of this or enough of that. So I always say if, if the money's not an obstacle, go ahead and dream. Dream big and say, God, you've got all the money. You don't know just own uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. You own the hills too. You own it all. And so uh, I always put that dream up there. So my dream was, uh, and let me make sure that's what's up there. Yeah, that, that you'll reproduce a satellite churches all over this world. And, you know, that, that sounds like very bold. But I, God, you allow that to happen because I said, uh, John 3, 6 says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives life or birth to the spiritual life. So I put that as a dream. And so how can, how, what can we do about it? So then I wanted to decide what are the ministry steps that I can say, okay, this is my real situation. This is where I am now. This is where I want to be. This is the growth that I want to see. This is the timeline. So God, what do I need to do to get there? God, you breathe it into me. I just don't want to make a plan. And uh, let me put intervals, people, or gaps of, of things that are manageable. And so I laid that out in, uh, first of all, was prayer. I wanted to have the dreaming. And, and if money wasn't an obstacle, Phase one, phase two, phase three. I think that way in phases. God, from here, if I can do this in the first two years, and I can do this in the next two years, God, you're big enough to make this happen. And so I laid out this dream. And this is kind of how I first did with Ohio for Jesus, too. And we converted it into a plan that uh, I had Sarah House ask me. She says, your mind really thinks that way, don't it? There's something running all over. There's something running around in there that's... And I said, yeah, I'm thinking all the time. And uh, I'll give you examples. This is the one that I made in, the, uh, in 2012, after we'd been there five years. I said, I want to see this church. WCWC was, at that time, Wapak Community Worship Center. I want to see it replicated. But God, I know that you, you want to see this done in phases, but I, I want to try to break it up in, in years, and I want to see it to be a, a missions focus, a mission expansion, and I want to see missionaries. As I told you, uh, during this time, if you look across on these timelines, there's different building blocks. But I, I talked about planting a church in the community about two counties over. I was in a, uh, I got to keep watching my watch here. Uh, I was in a community uh, that was 100% Catholic. Uh, it was a place called Coldwater. I don't know if any of you heard Coldwater. Be praying about that because I, they're going to they're going to plant a church in Coldwater still, I know they will. Uh, but the priest, I was in a hospital room. I'd never been in Coldwater before, and I went into a hospital uh, where somebody was having surgery. And there was a man that was a priest. He was sitting there, and he was just you could tell when somebody wants to talk to you, they're kind of waiting for you to make eye contact with him. And he wanted to know what I was doing there. In other words, he he knew why he was there. He was a former priest. He came from Kansas. And I didn't realize there was a place called Carpathia. It was a, it was a retirement home for priests all over the nation. And they right there in Coldwater, Ohio. And uh, I, I drove out by there later. 
and you could tell grave after grave. Priests would die, and they'd be buried. They'd be buried. Big graveyards around this retirement home of priests. And I thought through, you know, we think of the, the harmful things that happen to kids sometimes under the care of ministry, and we know the stories of the Catholic Church and all. I thought how many priests that allowed or participated in uh, harming children were buried there. And I said, there was a heaviness over there. But the priest sat there and he, he asked me who I was, what I was doing there. And I said, I'm a pastor, Protestant pastor from Wapakoneta. And uh, I'd always uh, felt that at some time we needed to expand and maybe uh, plant a Protestant church over in this area. He says, it'll never work. There's no, there, no Protestant church has ever worked and it'll never come into this community. And I guess that's a challenge to, to God's like, go sick them or whatever. And, and I feel like that was a piece that I felt God speak into me, the piece where I wanted to send, I still wanted to see a missionary go to England. I don't know whether that'll happen or not, uh, but it'll, it'll be up to God. But I laid those building blocks, and uh, as you can see, at 2018 is when I ended up leaving. Uh, that's, you know, I, so I didn't make a plan beyond that. And so I, I broke up in steps what those mean. I wanted to reproduce love first. Everywhere we went, I, I was trying to teach people how to reproduce the love of God, reproduce knowledge. You know, we, we die sometimes because for a lack of knowledge, we, you know, we fail. Uh, reproduce leadership and build on that and then reproduce the locations. So I took it across that way. And I think that's how we kind of built the Ohio for Jesus plan too, that if you will hear from God, However, however you write it down, you can write it down in scribbles. I've been down to Tim McGinnis's church. He is writing all over the walls. I mean, he's got post-it notes, stick-it notes. But the people get it. They understand what he's trying to tell people, that we've got to love our community. We've got to hear from God, and we've got to do what God says. And if you don't write it down, you're going to miss out because God is saying, you know, there's going to be a time where he's going to prepare people to do what he wants to do. But if you're not prepared, if you don't write it down, uh, you're not going to be able to do that. So that's how I got on board with Ohio for Jesus. And I've encouraged pastors too. You know, go pray. Ask God what he wants to do. And when he tells you, don't be afraid. This is what I found. That people are afraid to speak what God says to them because they're asking their, or they're saying to themselves, what if it doesn't happen? Then, then this ego I have, you know what? It's up to God. If God said it, it's up to him. Let, let him be the one. Let him be the one. And all he's asking you is, are you going to please me or not? Are you going to please me by speaking what I said and have the confidence that I'm the God that will do and answer the way I said I would? And so those, those are the things I would share with you. I know that, what, what are we supposed to go to today? 345? 345, so I've got 15 minutes that I can field any questions or we can uh, discuss or talk. But I want to encourage you, uh, Steve, no matter what our age is, we can still hear from God. You know, I, I think retirement a lot. I think, <laughs> no, I do. I, I think, you know, uh, right now I'm driving from Bluffton to Columbus, which is an hour and 50 minutes one way, almost two hours. And, you know, that gets heavy at times. And I know there will be a transition coming. Uh, people are asking me, you know, if you retire, what are you going to do? 
I said, the rest of my life, I want to do one-on-one discipleship with people. I said, I've moved into a new neighborhood. I've got two 80-year-old men, one across the street, one next to me. I've spent time with them over the last year. We've been there a year now, and neither one of them know the Lord. And uh, I've talked to them both about the Lord. They've got some really sad stories, sad tales about uh, travesty in their lives, deaths in their family. And, and, uh, you know, I walked over onto the porch on on this one. It was his 80th birthday here a few months ago. His name was Marvin. And I said, uh, Marvin, I brought brought him a cake and I brought him some ice cream. I said, I I know it's your 80th birthday. When you told me when your birthday was six months ago, I didn't forget it. And uh, he was drinking beer. And he was, he said, oh, pastor, here I am in front of a reverend, and I'm drinking beer. I says, Marv, I says, Marvin, I began to tell him what my life used to be like. And without putting any condemnation on him, I let him know what I've seen the destruction of what alcohol will do. I let him know I had a younger brother that I visited in a alcoholic's ward at 24 years old. A year later, he was dead. Uh, I, I let him know that the travesty that I had seen, so I said, no, I don't partake of that. I said, but you know what? God wants me to love my neighbor. And he said, well, I've always been in the country. I've never had neighbors." neighbor. I said, no, you're missing it, Marvin. I said, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I said, and he said the second one was real close to the first one. He says, to love your neighbor as yourself. I said, Marvin, who is your neighbor? He said, well, I guess you are now. <laughs> and I says, Marvin, your neighbor, who's ever you come in contact with. Remember, whoever you come in contact with, that's Ohio for Jesus. Whoever you come in contact with, you share good news. And so whenever, if you want to call it retirement, it's going to be winning one by one people for Christ. I don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a title. You know, if the only thing that identifies you as a pastor, then you're very, it's sad. Because if the only thing you can say is, I'm a pastor, what happens when you're not a pastor anymore? Are you nothing to God? God wants to be able to breathe into you, speak into you. He wants you to trust him with what he says to you. And he wants you to be able to write it down and share it with others. And I'll tell you, when God has said it, it'll make others catch on to it. They'll catch your your vision. And uh, so anyhow, I'll open it up for questions and if I retire, uh, you'll know I'm still working for the Lord. Any, any questions or thoughts? or I just wore you out. When, uh, when I was uh, reelected here last year at this time for a four-year term, I let the network know them before they voted on me that I would not most likely fulfill that term. So that's what I've told him. You know, so uh, if, if the right person showed up, I'm saying, I realize uh, I don't have the credentials. Uh, you know, you look in our office, we've got some smart people. We really do. we got people. John's getting his doctorate. we got other people getting their doctorate. I have zero degrees. I, I had opportunities in life, but I, have, I don't have any of the background to even justify maybe where I'm standing in, in the place. But I know what, it's up to God uh, to do that. But I, I do see probably in the near future. You know, and John talks about, I, I talked to John about it. And so I heard we were meeting with the church board the other night and he was talking about 
you know, the, the layout and the way the church is structured. And he says, you know, you realize that in a few years, some of you won't be in these seats. And he says, matter of fact, we won't either. And he says, by, you know, by the end of this year, Dan probably won't be in this seat. So that's probably a reality, you know. But, but I don't see that as sad. I see that as good because there's somebody much better coming that will fill this role, that will carry this, this initiative further than I ever could. Yeah, Steve and I, we grew up in the same fellowship. I heard someone mention it earlier. They said something about hoary-haired old men, white-haired old men, and something like that. I said, I resemble that result or that <laughs> remark. Uh, so, yeah, but it's okay. And, and, yeah, Fred. No. So, you know, what we, we met in Houston here uh, a couple weeks ago, and that is a, an objective that we want to monitor, not just numbers, but are we moving ahead? I've, I've always believed if the process is right, the results take care of themselves. Uh, you don't have to shoot at the result. Uh, goals are good, but if you do right things, right things take place. So that's a natural uh, law. I think it's a God law, too. If you do right things with God, I've never told people that if you give so much, God will give you so much back. But I do know if you're a faithful giver, God has never seen uh, the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bed. I, I believe that good things happen that way. But as Fred's uh, talking about, uh, from what I see, you know, we can blame everything on COVID. <laughs> I, I, I just, I really cringe, you know, I, it's, it's real. I've uh, officiated funerals. I've lost loved ones. Uh, I've had COVID myself. It's, it's nasty and ugly, and, but we can't blame COVID on everything. And so things slowed us down for a while. But I want to tell you that um, I watched, you know, we're, just, we're not just talking Ohio for Jesus results, but I would tell you during this last two years, uh, the Ohio Ministry Network is in a better financial state. We're building and constructing where we were told no, absolutely not. Yeah, you can't. We'll be opening a new ministry center for Ohio for Jesus here in the next two months uh, at Heartland. Uh, we're seeing more people called into the ministry. So I see the percolating taking place. I don't see the, you know, I could tell you uh, I've been a part of seeing uh, several churches launched in the last uh, three or four months. But I've also been a part of seeing a couple close. And so I realize that happens to, to plant a thousand new churches means you don't lose the ones you've got either. But there are times where some of that does happen. Uh, so to answer that, Fred, without giving you a political type answer and running around circles, uh, the momentum, I, I, I feel almost like uh, 
uh, David did in, in scripture. Uh, he heard a rustling. In, he says, when there's a rustling in the mulberry tree, you're going to know. You're going to know. I think that rustling is taking place now. And I see, you know, as I visit church after church, I'm seeing people have a heart and are convinced they're going to plant churches. So I'm hearing it come out of them. I'm, I'm hearing it around them. But I believe as we laid out our 10-year plan, we intentionally, when John and I were in Tanzania, and we began to, to articulate what all the data we had gotten from our churches, uh, we began to intentionally lay them in segments to where the biggest part of the activity or the results, if we're going to see results, are going to happen in year five to year eight. That, you know, we'll get the, the leftovers, the overflow, I think, in the last part. But this first part, the development, the mindset, the dreaming, the visionary, uh, the determination, the posturing yourself. You know, uh, the scripture says, you know, who would build unless they count the cost first or who would go to war? I believe that we have to begin to get the infrastructure. The leaders are probably the biggest thing. And uh, I think next week we're, we're having a called weekend at, at uh, Heartland. I think there's, I, I don't know the number. I, I know that at camp last year, more than 300 uh, young adults or young teenagers or children uh, felt a call into ministry. I think there's more than 100 that are coming for the development next weekend to begin. But once the ministry centers in, I see us on a regular basis, uh, not only developing uh, ministers, church planners, uh, missionaries, but I think uh, as we've talked about, I think yesterday John talked about APES, you know, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and uh, teacher. Uh, we're in a place where we want the Ohio for Jesus plan as we laid it out had a lot in it about the pastor. We made a pastor edition. Uh, we made it pastor-centric. Uh, but the fivefold ministry needs to be operating for Ohio for Jesus to take place. The Spirit of God has to move through uh, the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist. And we haven't put a lot of maturation there, but we have to come theologically and agree that these are the definitions of what that is. We don't want things to be kooky. We don't want to be things so suppressed. Our uh, superintendent, Doug Clay, says, don't allow misuse of the spirit cause no use of the spirit or the gifts of the spirit. And I think in some times we have allowed uh, the misuse to m us monitor it so close that we haven't let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to because he can do, we, we, we grew up hearing that he can do more in a moment than I can you know, preach for an hour or whatever. But we've got to depend on the spirit. So, uh, Fred, to, to answer that, I really don't think we've got uh, the accumulation of numbers. Well, I, I, I think I think probably using you know biblical terms, or I, we're we're plowing up some of the fallow ground right now. Yeah. Uh, there's been some fallow ground that laid idle for a time, and I think 
Sometimes that happens. Yeah. But but I'm I'm convinced that I'm 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 hearing that rumbling, that stirring in the in the tree that uh, there's something's about ready to move. 